or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to any everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So good morning. My name's Michael Houghton. Um, I'm here to read the, uh, the second Bible passage today uh, from the letter of James, chapter 2 verses 1 to 13. Let's hear what James has to say to the Christians of his day. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here, a good, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You, stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor 
in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For if he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder, if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name's Andrew. I'm a member of staff here. If we haven't met before, or if it's your first time with us, a special welcome uh, on my part. It'd be great, great to say g'day to you after our service. Um, I just wanted to start by tracking us back a little into the words that we heard read for us from Acts chapter 10. And I'm reading from Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Um, this is pretty massive for a Jewish man to be saying, and we didn't hear from the earlier part of the passage where we understand that Peter has had a dream, the same dream, three times, to have to convince him that food that God once declared unclean is no longer unclean because of the Lord Jesus. And we didn't read earlier about Peter having to be almost dragged from his house by three people who turned up there because they'd seen a vision that he needed to come to speak to them. So this is massive that Peter comes to this conclusion and says, I now realise that the God of the universe, he does not show favouritism. And now we come to James and we find that what James is saying is exactly the same thing. So I'm taking as my key verse today, James chapter 2 verse 1, which says this, my dear brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And then, then he's going to go and, and talk to them just in this next, the finish of the sentence about how they should live. Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. 
And it's easy as we read the letter to James, and if we read it quickly, we might just kind of, we read that sentence and we move on. But it's an absolute, <laughs> must not show favoritism. Because we've already understood from James that he knows that salvation is by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's riches at Christ's expense. Our reconnection with God comes by grace. And he knows that that understanding and that trusting of the Lord Jesus is actually going to show itself in gracious living. So grace received is grace given. Grace understood is grace shown. But if you don't show it, it seems that, as James says, you don't really know it. But before we get to the, the living and the pressing down into that, let's just refresh our memory about grace. Because sometimes the letter of James is maligned as being something that's not the Lord Jesus Christ. But grace is hiding once again in plain sight for us in this chapter. And here's what I mean. Chapter 2, verse 1, we hear James talking about believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying that people who trust in the risen Lord, the saving one, Jesus, acknowledging him as king, are right with God. So that's just verse 1. And then we, then we flick down to verse 5 and we hear a, a, another expansion of the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to come back to this in a, in a little while. But he says, he talks to them as being chosen by God. So he's talking to them as people who had nothing to give, but God has made them rich, only trusting what Jesus did. And he says to them, look, you've been given everything, but... but You've been given so much more than everything. You've been given something that's infinite. You've been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven because Jesus has opened up the doors and said, come on in. Not because of anything that you have done, but because of what Jesus did. And he's reminding them that they've been shown an undeserved favoritism. And he concludes by saying in verse 12, you must show mercy, not judgment, because you've been shown mercy, not judgment. <laughs> So just as we start off, a reminder that the gospel is here. Grace is here. Being right with God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is here. And that is the bedrock of what James wants to go on and say about living a grace-filled life. And this is what I'm going to say this morning just by way of pointing these things out. Have you received God's favour? Then favour everyone. Are you a chosen pauper? Choose the poor. Are you loved by God? Love others. Have you been shown mercy instead of judgment? Be merciful, not judgmental. Uh, but we need God's help in doing that, and we need God's help in understanding it. So please join me as we pray now for his help. Please join me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can be considered brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus because of your kindness to us by grace in him, that by trusting in him, our sins can be forgiven and we can be right with you. Father, thank you so much that you have not discriminated against us, but you've showed us your favour. So please help us to love others and not show favouritism. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, my first point, have you received God's favour? Well, then 
Favour everyone. Show God's grace. And I'm thinking of the first four verses here. This is James 1, 1 to 4. And let's hear those words again. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Um, we could maybe dismiss this as a, just a little bit of a story that James has cooked up, um, but in a class-differentiated culture like theirs and like ours, this is a massive problem, and here's why. They're playing favourites based on mere appearances. So do you notice these people have only just put their foot through the door, and the welcome committee, and so people with blue badges on this morning take note of this, this is how not to do it. <laughs> Someone's looking pretty good, you'll get a good seat. Someone's looking a bit shabby, you'll, get seated, you'll be seated on the floor. And they're discriminating, okay? And so discrimination is all about an unjust, prejudged distinction. So that's bad enough, right, just in its own right. And I'm sure all of us have experienced discrimination to a greater or lesser extent, and it's not nice. But within a Christian meeting, this kind of situation is even worse. It just goes to, to an extra, extra level of awfulness because that meeting exists because the Lord Jesus Christ did not show favoritism. But James says that this kind of behaviour absolutely does. And so it's the opposite of what they've been shown. So instead of them being judges with evil thoughts, what they should be are forgivers with gracious thoughts. Realising that everyone who comes through the door is exactly the same, sinful and in need of grace. But, but I'm just going to press down a little bit in considering why this is so tragic. And it just gets worse and worse. First of all, like I've said, I guess it forgets Jesus and it's just self-deceived. So what they see are the glitter almost of the jewellery and they'd, they'd, they'd be dazzled by this. And they love it. And they start to think, that's important and that's good. But they're forgetting the Lord Jesus. But then go down a layer and it gets even worse. It fools the rich piece of person into thinking, I'm okay. Because remember, this, this is just a foot through the door. And they're being affirmed. Fantastic. You're on the right track. <laughs> Terrible. But even worse... It deprives both the rich and the poor of God's favour because they're not being told the gospel of grace, either of them. This is just kind of worldly lenses through which these people are being looked at and they're not finding out the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the same for everybody. It's bad news for everyone and it's good news for everyone. So let me give you... Uh, let me recount a moment where I have experienced positive discrimination for no good reason. I lived in South Korea in 1993 and I was working amongst um, student groups and churches and somehow a church that was right on the, on the, the periphery of Seoul found out that I was in Seoul. 
And in some of the churches in Seoul at that time, it was a really big deal to have an annual conference um, with international speakers. So I, through some random contact, contact, I get invited to be the speaker at this conference. And so out I go. And as I'm about to walk through the door, I see this massive poster. And guess whose face is on the poster? Mine. But there were only about 10 people who turned up at this conference, right? And what I realised was they tried to leverage me as being the international speaker at their international conference so that they could get more people to go along. And I remember, because I, I souvenired a poster, right? It's a pretty big moment, right? And I remember going back to the place where I was staying and showing my um, housemate, who was hosting me more or less, a Korean brother in Christ called Jong Ho, and I said, Jong Ho, look at this. And as, as I unraveled this poster, he physically threw himself on the floor and could not stop laughing. <laughs> it was very clear to him how big a joke this was. Right? I knew it, but I, like, I thought it wasn't that bad. Um, but they'd absolutely tried to leverage me. So it was a moment of positive discrimination. They've, they've given me something that I absolutely did not deserve. And Jong Ho knew that. But for us, what, what, what might be the things? I think in the ACT, we, we live in such a rarefied atmosphere, even, even though we can easily forget it, um, that we're amongst the richest and the most well-educated and well-organised people in the world. And in a public service town, uh, the industry in which many of you are working, it is all about levels, right? And I do remember hearing uh, some conversation um, but kind of along the lines of, oh, such and such a person is you know, an executive level, whatever that is. And, and the person said, in a half-joking kind of way, I'm not worthy. And um, I, I'm sure some of you know the kind of, you know, some of these conversations where everyone's kind of working out who they are in relation to the other person just by the level um, they, they have in the, the public service. And that kind of discrimination takes place in the workplace as people are sorting it out, but it can find its way back into our church. I think maybe a functional form of favouritism is just the fact that we might turn up each week and we only hang around with the same people at church. Um, we're only going to say good day to the same people at church because it's safer and it's easier and we do just want to catch up on what's happened the week before. And so that's not necessarily a bad thing, but over time what happens is there are groups forming in our church. And um, they happen in concentric circles. So you've got the people who've been around longer and they're higher up in terms of the leadership of the church and then so on, so on, so on, so on, so on. And that just kind of creeps in over time. But it's favouritism nonetheless. And so how do we break that down? Well, I think it's easy pretty well. We just need to keep remembering the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. So James 1.18 where James says, look, you've been given birth through the word of truth, um, really came about not because of anything you did. Um, and remember, we're just really glorious beggars. <laughs> and I'll talk more about that in a moment. But one way I try and break this down for myself is I do try and say hello to everybody. Um, that means I've gotten used to over the years making a fool of myself because I'm, I'm often saying day to people that I might have met before, but I just can't remember who they are. Um, or, and what I do try and do is um, I always try and introduce it, people to each other and in a church our size, I don't know who knows each other, right? So I'm often introducing people to each other who know each other. And I look like the idiot. Okay, that's, that's, that's fine. I'm happy to feel that way actually for the sake of breaking down favouritism. 
because I know that God has not favoured me, sorry, God has favoured me and he hasn't discriminated against me and I just want to keep pressing that out because I know in my own heart I've got a tendency to do the opposite. So have you received God's favour? Then favour everyone. Are you a chosen pauper? In Christ, yes, this is true. Choose the poor. Choose the poor. So have a look at verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you've dishonoured the poor. Isn't it the rich who are exploiting you? Aren't they the ones who are dragging you into court? Aren't they the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? James again does this really cool explaining of Christianity in verse 5. And it, it's really important that we, that we stop there and we don't take that for granted because for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, we can easily forget this. And if you're just investig investigating Christianity, you need to hear this. Because he says Christianity is all about God's choosing. There's no part for humans to play, actually, in the way that James expresses this. And he says, you know what, God is so good and he's so great, even though he's so wonderful and holy and righteous, that he reaches in and chooses to enrich those who are poor in the eyes of the world, either materially or spiritually, and certainly we can say it's spiritual. And how does he do it? By faith. By trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen, saving, ruling king. And it's infinite wealth that we receive just by trusting Jesus. Like I said before, we get the keys to the kingdom. Life with God forever. We are chosen paupers. <laughs> wow. And, and he sets all this out in a question which then begs a question, right? I'm still on verse 5. If God chose the poor, who should Christians choose? The answer? The poor. If God chooses the poor and he chose you, who are you going to choose? The poor. But don't play games with the rich, especially if they've got no heart for the Lord and no heart for everybody else. But what are they doing? They're just so badly allowing themselves to be blinded. It's just ghastly, actually. So do you get it? The rich are exploiting them the rich are actually dragging them into court and the rich are actually blaspheming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> they have no interest whatsoever, actually, in the Lord. And despite all this, all that's glittering in the eyes of these Christians that James describes or he's talking to clouds their view so that these Christians are favouring the rich. And in the process, verse 6, they're dishonouring the poor. Wow. So it's important to note here, I think, are riches the problem? Nah. Is it the behaviour of that group? Yep. Yeah. And the biggest problem is for the Christians that they're forgetting that they are rich at Christ's expense and they're choosing the rich, not Christ. And they're neither evaluating the rich or the poor by grace. They're starting to use some other standard and this is actually bringing discrimination. It's bringing favoritism that should not exist. 
Because verse 5 again is the great leveller. Grace tells us that we are sinners in need of a saviour and grace gives us salvation instead of judgment for sin. So I've been in a church actually where I experienced some of this kind of uh, rich, poor dynamic. The church that we went to in Italy, the Florence Brethren Church, was right in the heart of the old historic centre, um, which is where many gypsies would come and go when they were, were doing their thing every day. And of course, they knew the timing of our church service. And they would turn up there in the hope that the, the generous Christians who knew about God's grace would actually be generous to them. But often, with some good reason, when the gypsies kind of came into the back of the church, everyone stiffened up. And they... Hands on wallets, or wherever you would keep your wallet, right? And at the same time, there was a different dynamic going on in our church because there was one senior elder who was a really godly Christian man but had been very successful in business. And so people would often be talking to him about how they might be able to help him out. And I do remember hearing him say, so I was within earshot of him saying, when someone else kind of approached him, he said, look, please just don't ask. I can't have anyone asking me for more money. (laughs) So the gypsies, on one hand, weren't welcome. They were not welcome. As poor and, uh, you know, untrustworthy as they were. And on the other hand, people would make a beeline for this rich guy. (laughs) It was really interesting to see that kind of play out. And I thought to myself over time, I think what what happens is that we, we forget how we arrived in the lifeboat. We've been in the lifeboat for a while and... It's good, there's a blessing because we are together, we have the Lord, we have the Spirit, we have each other and the lifeboat starts to turn into a cruise ship and we haven't seen the captain for a while and he doesn't really kind of have much to do with it anymore because we've forgotten that the way we got in there was that Jesus was hauling us in and that not only was he the saviour but he was meant to be the Lord (laughs) and he was going to save us but he was going to direct the traffic of our lives as well. Um, but we can so easily forget that. And I'm putting up my own hand to say that that's the case, okay? Now, just a bit of balance in the application before I go on. I know that there are many of you who are caring for people all the time, and some of you extremely sacrificially. Some people who who are well-to-do but find themselves in difficulty, some people who do not have much material means but find themselves in difficulty. And you, the people of God here at St. Matthew's, are actually on about the business of being gracious towards them. Praise God. Praise God. And of course, there's always room for us to grow, isn't there? There's always room for us to grow. So one of the ways I've thought about trying to uh, do something about this was actually with those same gypsies. Um, How would I avoid having a hardness of heart? Well... I better get to know some of these people and I better find out their story and maybe occasionally give them money, but not every time they ask me because they'll be asking me every time they see me. But instead of uh, just letting everyone else's attitude inform my behaviour, I want to keep looking at the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing God's kindness to me and then showing that out in big and small ways. And we just want to encourage each other about that. And pray that it might only increase. Because if we are chosen paupers, we need to choose the poor without discrimination. 
no matter what people look like, full stop. So thirdly, are you loved by God? Well, love others, all others. Have a look at verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, get this, you are doing right. There's a positive statement for you. That's not a slam. There's the goal. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And here's the reason, two of them. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, well, you've still become a lawbreaker. So he's hammering away at favoritism because favoritism is not God-like love. God-like love is loving all people equally, as hard as that can be. And this is how grace shows itself in action, by giving all people the kindness they never earned, they never deserved. So some of you, maybe in your professional kind of situations, have heard of unconscious bias. Um, So my wife in... uh, the, the job she had up until recently in the new job, she's gone through kind of uh, retraining, reprogramming regarding con- unconscious bias and being aware of it and uh, being wised up to it. And it exists, right? Because each of us and the way we grew up and the things that we're convinced of, of course, we'll interpret different situations and different people accordingly. We'll give them different weights. But that's not how God does it. So you might remember the the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told. Let me just kind of reset the context for that. Um, I was refreshed in it last week, so I'm ripping off Andrew Vella as I tell you some of this stuff now, right? He's said it much better than me. The teacher of the law comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, instead of kind of, you know, giving him a, a straighter answer, he says, well, you know, the law, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. And the guy's not super happy with that because that's pretty broad. He has to treat everybody equally. And he says, well, to justify himself, give himself a bit of an out, who is my neighbour? And then Jesus tells a story. There's a certain man, we don't know the man's name. He's beaten up and he's lying on the side of the road. First person who comes past is a priest. Second person who comes past is a Levite. And so these guys are professional do-gooders. They, they should know better. But then the third person, but they don't help him. Third person comes, a Samaritan. Andrew put it much better than me, you know, like the arch enemy of God's people. And if there's a bad guy in the story, it's the Samaritan. But what does the Samaritan do? Stops, looks, cares, takes, pays, <laughs> And Jesus says to the lawyer, which of these was the neighbour? I love the way Andrew put it. The bloke can't even, can't even get the word Samaritan out of his mouth. <laughs> he won't say it. <laughs> but I suppose the one who showed mercy, he probably just squeaks that out. <laughs> and Jesus says, go and do that. Go and show mercy. And Jesus says it because that's what Jesus will do. And that's what Jesus will do all the time. And so those who follow him need to do what Jesus has done. 
So not just some of the time. So favoritism, discrimination, what is that? Well, it's loving some of the time to some people. And it's just based on a human standard. That's the deep problem with discrimination. That's the deep problem with favoritism, especially in the context of grace. These two things just do not go together because favoritism and discrimination are not gracious. It's not undeserved kindness that's being shown. It's, it's not non-discriminatory, loving grace of God. And it's funny, isn't it, for each of us, because we love to receive the grace. We love to receive the favour. But it's just so hard to keep giving it out all the time. But James says there's no option. And he, really, he uses this really curious kind of set of things to help us understand how severe it is that we would show favouritism. He says, it's like someone saying this. I won't commit adultery. And everyone says, excellent, that's great. But I will commit murder. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? How absurd is that? Who's going to be happy sitting around hearing someone say, adultery, no, but yep, I'm about to kill someone. Doesn't work that way. It's crazy. And the point that he's trying to make is, if you are partial... If you're trying to uphold one law some of the time and break another law, you break the whole law because the law of God is complete and is meant to be kept all the time. And so now that grace has come, which is the even clearer manifestation of God's love, there is no excuse for any of us actually not to show grace. We must show kindness to all people all the time. So a negative example. We're on holidays uh, in a country part of uh, New South Wales and we went to church on the Sunday that we were away. And in this particular place there were just two sets of pews all the way down. You know, much, It's a much smaller building than this and our family, we have six in our family and we're adult, two, at least two adult children and two getting towards being adult children. And so um, when a family like ours walks into a church like that, we fill up one whole pew, okay? So you, you can't miss us. And as we walked into that church, no one said hello. As we sat there, no one addressed us from the front and said welcome. And when the service was over and we filed out, no one wanted to catch up with us. So we just left. I don't think that was a good demonstration of grace that day. <laughs> I don't think it was a good demonstration of selfless love or just even going out of your way just slightly to reach the hand over the, over the back of the pew and say hello and welcome. So it's easy to find a negative example. I've got plenty of other examples of actually being in places and being welcomed. But if we're loved by God, we're to be loving others, all others. There's no discrimination. And, and God willing, as you've come to this church, if you have come to this church in the last 6 to 12 or 18 months or so, you've just been blessed by the welcome team actually being even and equal and happy to say good day to everyone um, because we remember God's grace to us. And I know others of you at times in the past because I've heard your testimonies about this, have received similar welcomes actually here at this church. And that's what we want to keep being like because that's what our God is like. So lastly, have you been shown mercy instead of judgment? Well, if you're someone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saying a massive great yes. Well, then James is saying to you, God through James is saying, be merciful, not judgmental. And that's just our, our last two verses from verse 12. 
speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So they benefited from the gospel. And that's referenced when he says the law of love that gives freedom. Okay, The law of love in Christ that gives forgiveness, not judgment. And in Christ, God's mercy triumphed over judgment because at the cross, Jesus actually takes judgment so that we can be shown mercy. How good is that? But here comes the responsibility. God's mercy doesn't remove God's judgment. And now his grace, his mercy is the standard by which we're all being asked to live. And that's the future standard for judgment. They the people James is addressing, and us, us as part of that group, because we're also followers of Jesus, they're going to be asked, did you show favoritism? Did you discriminate? Did you judge on your standards? Or did you speak and act using my standards? Grace, mercy, Christ. So I, I want to finish with a couple of reflections that hopefully will we'll just tease some of this stuff out. And remind us maybe of the basis of why it's good to live God's way. I remember the night that I became a Christian. What happened that night was that God clarified sin for me as it became very clear that Jesus was not dying for his rebellion against God, but for mine. And as that became very, very large and very, very clear, it was very, very beautiful. (laughs) It was so good. And I could see God's love in that. And I was just happy to say, give it all to me because I know that I need it and I want it. It's just so, so wonderful that I would get forgiveness because of what Jesus has done. He's taken my sin. And so that is so good, isn't it? And I find that reflecting on God's mercy that put my judgment on Jesus actually keeps me fresh in realising who I am I deserve nothing. And I realize who you are, you deserve nothing. But we've been given everything. And because of that, I want to keep going towards you. Let me just give you a, another, maybe, yeah, a tangible example in my own life of when I've experienced mercy, not judgment. And forgive me if, if you've heard this story before. Um, I think it was late high school, somewhere in the year 10 to 12 range, and a, a mate of mine had moved in down the street. And his parents had allowed him to convert their garage into his bedroom, which included a table tennis table. So he was down there playing table tennis. And I absolutely lost track of time. And when I glanced down at my watch, it was midnight. And no mobile phones. I had not even thought to make a phone call like using the landline to my parents. And so I literally dropped the table tennis bat and I ran out. And I ran back up the street. And when I got back to my house... I put my hand round the courtyard wall and I felt the hook where the key to the laundry door normally was. There was no key. And I thought to myself, that's strange. And I went to the front door just to see if maybe by some accident that had been left open and it was locked. And I thought, I've got one more chance to get back inside this house without waking my dad up. And I went down to my sister's window because she was the lightest sleeper and I was tapping on that window, hoping that she would wake up. And I was tapping for ages and she did not wake up. And then suddenly the curtain pulls back and my dad's face appears at the the window. Get to the front door. 
All right. So I walk up to the front door, and there he is standing. He opens it, and I don't know what, don't know what's about to be unleashed. And he just said to me as I walked across, he said, "Don't do that again." I said, "I won't. Thank you." <laughs> it was just such a beautiful moment of mercy and not judgment. Um, it was transformational because, in fact, it's, it's remained with me and it's been a very important episode in my life. But when we know the great mercy of God instead of judgment in the Lord Jesus Christ, wow. Of course, you know, when we first accept it, it's so fresh and so real, but we want, we want to keep growing in that and letting it keep being fresh because that's, that will actually help us to keep living out grace. And we must, won't we, because... What God says is judgment is going to be on that basis. But I want to give you, I want to give you just a really tangible thing to work on this week. And it's, it's off the back of the very last sentence, which I find quite extraordinary in and of itself. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we know that to be true in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what happened at the cross and in his resurrection. But this is a truism because that's the way that God has made the world. Mercy triumphs over judgment so can you you think of someone who's who's hard in your workplace can you think think of someone who's hard in your neighborhood can you think of someone who's who's difficult to deal with in your family and this week show them mercy not judgment and see god at work in that Um, but if you can think of someone who's difficult at church And in your life group, and if it's your life group leader, and if it's me, I'm sorry about that. But show mercy, not judgment. And let's see how God's grace actually transforms us and turns this whole thing on its head. Let's join me and we'll pray to that end. Let's pray. Father, thanks heaps for your kindness. You don't give us what we deserve. You don't play games and don't play favourites. You've given us your riches at Christ's expense. Father, please help us to to not only accept this, but dwell on your goodness to us in Christ, to love it and to show it out, even in the hard situations, in the hard relationships, in the hard contexts. Please change us as we go in doing that. And we pray, Father, for those people we find hard, let them be transformed by your mercy so that they will avoid your judgment. In Jesus' name, amen.